Okay, so today we'll continue with uh, Malachi chapter 3, uh, verses 13 to 18. And as the Lord leads, maybe we can also get into chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6, which is the last uh, chapter. So here we see about two uh, different types of followers. We see followers uh, who are not really uh, genuine or authentic. And we also have true followers that we see in verses 16 and 17 of, of chapter 3. And verse 18 and the following chapter, chapter 4, uh, speaks about the day of the Lord or the final judgment. And we also read uh, about the book of remembrance uh, in chapter 3, verse 17. And we'll also take a look at the book of life because they both kind of go together. So, so we'll start with verses uh, 13 through 15. Before that, so... We've been looking at the life of Israelites in the book of Malachi, and we see that there are many failures uh, in their life. Uh, we talked about uh, offering blemished uh, sacrifices. Uh, we considered the marriage covenants that were broken. And we also considered a false teaching. And in chapter 3, we also saw that they were unfaithful in tithing. And we saw they were complaining about the justice of God. And overall, they were uh, disobedient and they were not honoring God uh, as they should. But despite uh, all of these failures, we see that God is merciful to them and he is faithful to his covenant, uh, even as we saw in chapter 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Uh, therefore, his sons of Jacob uh, are not consumed. So we see that uh, even in our life, uh, God is faithful uh, to the covenant uh, he has made with us. And there might be failures uh, in our life, but God is uh, always uh, willing to accept us back uh, when we repent and when we turn to him. And he's also able to restore. So we saw that even though the people of Israel, uh, they're constantly uh, asking for justice uh, against their enemies. But when they look uh, at their own life, uh, we can see that there are many failures. And if they use the same uh, yardstick, uh, they themselves uh, would have been consumed. Uh, they all themselves would have been perished had God uh, exercised justice in their life. So we see that God was uh, very patient uh, with the Israelites, uh, just like uh, he's patient with their enemies or with the unbelievers or those who are not chosen. Uh, so in the same way, he is extending mercy to all of them. So today we'll uh, begin with uh, verses 13 through 15, uh, which speaks about followers uh, who say they love God. Uh, but when we dig deeper, we see that their motives uh, are not right. So God is calling uh, attention to that. Yeah. So here we find the key question is, uh, what profit uh, is it? Or they're asking God, uh, in what way are they being benefited by following God? So we'll take a look at that. And we looked at the uh, unique style in Malachi that we have seen uh, in the previous chapters. Uh, there is a statement that is made by God and people uh, tend to object uh, to the fact or the statement that God is making. And God responds uh, to their objection or to their question or to their challenge by giving some clarity or giving some example, like we saw in the previous chapters. So here, uh, God is saying, your words have been harsh. 
And again, the people, uh, they don't accept it. Uh, instead, they ask a question, uh, what have we spoken so much uh, against thee? So they are either claiming uh, ignorance that they didn't know that they were speaking harsh or they are challenging uh, God's statement. And God continues the discussion by uh, showing that they were actually loving God uh, with the wrong uh, motive. So there are many complaints uh, as we read in verses uh, 14 and 15. Uh, they say we are serving God, uh, we are following all the laws, and we have even uh, repented and we are walking mournfully uh, before the Lord of hosts. And, and they go on to say that the people of the world, uh, they are having a better life. Uh, the proud are happy and those who are tempting God, they're uh, even being spared or they are being delivered uh, by the Lord. So their question is, uh, what, where is the prophet or where is the gain uh, from serving God? Or what is the, what is the point uh, of following God if those who are not following are having a better life? So God is pointing out that uh, their motive uh, is not right and that should not uh, be the case. And in Proverbs uh, 24, 19 and 20, it says, uh, fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious uh, at the wicked, for there shall be no reward uh, to the evil man, uh, the candle of the wicked uh, shall be put out. So as we read the scriptures, uh, God is pointing out that he is uh, just God. And when the time is right, uh, he will render justice and that is what we see in the rest of chapter 3 and also chapter 4. So we see that God does not look uh, as man looks. Uh, God looks at the intent uh, with which we are serving him. Uh, he looks at the intent uh, behind our words uh, and our actions. And he's not simply making a judgment uh, based on the exteriors. So based on the exteriors, uh, uh, the people of Israel or this group, uh, they were doing all the right things. Uh, they were serving God. They were following the laws. And they were even repenting. But God is able to discern uh, their heart. And he's saying uh, it is not right. And even today, we see that many uh, religions and many false teachers, uh, they emphasize works uh, to earn God's favor. And when we are doing works, uh, it gives us a sense of satisfaction that we are doing something for God. and But uh, we tend to expect something in return uh, for the sacrifices that we are making or the works uh, that we are doing. And oftentimes uh, we are fooled uh, into thinking that uh, just because we are successful or just because we are prosperous, uh, it is a sign of God's approval. So it could also be in the context uh, of a church or a ministry, uh, which might be successful uh, when we look at it from an exterior standpoint. Uh, the church or the ministry may be growing and expanding, but God is still able to look uh, the, at the intent, at the heart, and see whether it's truly in his will. So we saw that uh, in the previous chapter also, where the condition of the heart uh, was revealed uh, by the speech and also the actions. So we looked at the example of tithing practices, uh, which exposed uh, the condition of the heart. And we were able to see that 
uh, it showed a lack of obedience. Uh, it showed lack of generous spirit since they were holding back. And it also showed lack of complete uh, trust in God and also lack of concern uh, for the ministry uh, of the temple and priests. So in chapter 3, in the previous verses, the Lord used uh, tithing as an example uh, to reveal uh, the condition of the heart because oftentimes uh, we are attached uh, to the material things, we are attached to the material blessings, and the extent uh, of our attachment uh, also reveals uh, the condition of our heart. And what comes out of our mouth, as we read in Matthew 12, 34, uh, out of the abundance of heart, uh, the mouth uh, speakers. So the questions that the Israelites were raising, or the complaints that they had, or the murmuring that they had, uh, it revealed the true condition of their heart. It revealed that they were not really serving God with right intent. So we need to ask ourselves, uh, do we know the true uh, condition of our heart? And if you're loving God, or for that matter, anyone uh, with a selfish motive, then uh, obviously that is not uh, true love as we read uh, in the scriptures. So that is what we need to examine ourselves. Uh, what is our motive in serving God? Uh, are we simply seeking uh, personal fame or applause from people? Or are we seeking with a true heart uh, to do God's will and to glorify him? And in the next uh, couple of verses, uh, we see the opposite, uh, where we see the true followers, where uh, they fear the Lord. So that is the difference here. Uh, they don't have any selfish motive. Uh, whatever they are doing, uh, they are doing it because they have a reverence, uh, they have a respect, and they have a fear and a true love for the Lord. So uh, these are only two verses, but uh, we see a lot here uh, in the context of true followers, uh, what makes them a true follower, and we also see uh, what are the ways in which God honors them or God blesses people uh, who are true followers. So we see that the true followers, uh, they fear the Lord, uh, not in the sense that they are afraid of God, uh, but they fear the Lord uh, in the sense there is a reverence uh, that they have towards God, and there is a respect uh, that they have for God. So if you truly uh, reverence and respect God, uh, it will also show in our actions, uh, it will show in the lifestyle that we live, uh, it will show in the words, our thoughts, our deeds, and so on. So anytime we have that true fear of God, uh, it would lead to a life of obedience. And it is also seen in the fellowship uh, with others that we, that we read here in uh, verse 16. The first part, they spoke often to one another, uh, which we can say uh, they were in communion uh, with other people of similar uh, but similar faith. And we see that in response, uh, God hears them, uh, even as we read in the New Testament, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. So those who fear God, uh, we know that God hears them uh, when we pray to God or when we are in communion with God. Uh, God is open uh, to our prayers uh, when we truly fear him. And we also see that God kept a record uh, of such people uh, which we call the Book of Remembrance. Uh, so we need to ask ourselves, uh, even using the simple uh, criteria, uh, whether we are true followers of God 
uh, whether we truly fear God and does it show uh, in our lifestyle of obedience and also the quality of fellowship that we have with others. And it is also a test uh, if we feel that God is uh, hearing our prayers. Uh, that is also a good indicator that we are following the Lord and we fear him. And there is a reward for true followers as we read in verse 16 and 17. Uh, God says, uh, they shall be mine. So that shows that God uh, possesses uh, his people or he has a strong and intimate uh, relationship with them and he's able to call them his own. And they shall be precious. Uh, they are seen as jewels. And he also says, I will uh, spare them, uh, whereas the other group uh, will be destroyed. Uh, but the true followers uh, would be spared for all of uh, eternity. So we see uh, two books. Uh, we see the Book of Remembrance uh, that is mentioned here. And that is the only place uh, where we see that is mentioned. But we also read about the Lamb's uh, Book of Life or the Book of Life uh, mentioned several times. So we'll just uh, quickly look at that before we go on. So the Book of Remembrance uh, seems to be a record uh, of the righteous works uh, or the good works uh, that the true followers have done. And uh, we can say that that book is kept uh, as a record uh, so that it can be used uh, to reward uh, later. And it is similar to uh, the book uh, that is kept by kings. And we read about that in uh, Esther's uh, chapter 6, uh, the first three verses. Uh, it says, on that night uh, could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records uh, of the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigatna and Teresh, two of king's uh, chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity have we done to Mordecai for this? Uh, then said the king's servant that ministered unto him, uh, There is nothing uh, done for him. So here we see that uh, Mordecai had done something good, and there was a record uh, kept of him uh, in the book of records. And at some point, uh, king is uh, taking out that book, and he is asking whether something was done. And if nothing was done, uh, he was ready to do a favor for him. So we can say that the Book of Remembrance uh, is one way to keep track of the good things that were done so that they could be rewarded later and it could be understood the same way. So we see that God uh, does not forget uh, our goodness. Uh, God is uh, recording everything. So obviously, uh, he remembers uh, everything. Uh, he doesn't really need a book. Uh, but we see that God uh, takes a note of everything that we are doing, and he is able to reward all that we do. So in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 42, it says, uh, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, uh, only in the name of a disciple, uh, verily I say unto you, uh, he shall in no wise uh, lose uh, his reward. And Revelation 22, 12 says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me uh, to give uh, every man according as his work uh, shall be. So again, we see the connection between the work uh, that is done and the reward that is given by God. And again, in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 
uh, it speaks about the judgment uh, seat of Christ, uh, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So that is the book of uh, remembrance, uh, which reminds us that God is uh, watching uh, everything that we are doing, and he is going to reward us accordingly, whether big or small, nothing escapes God's attention. And we also read about the Lamb's uh, Book of Life, uh, which is really a book uh, for the redeemed uh, saints, or we can say those who are overcomers, or those who have the assurance uh, that they will be in heaven. And we read in Revelation uh, 21, 27, and there shall in no wise uh, enter into it uh, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written uh, in the Lamb's book of life. So we see that uh, the special place uh, is for those who are redeemed and those whose names are written in the Lamb's uh, book of life. And we are also reminded that uh, this is an eternal security for those who are saved, uh, those who have been redeemed. So in Revelation 3, 5, it says, He that overcometh, uh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, which means uh, it is once we are saved, uh, the name is in that book, and it will be there forever. And so... And we have seen this before in John 10, 28, and 30, which speaks about the no one can pluck us out of his hand. And Hebrew 9, 12, which again speaks about uh, eternal uh, redemption. And 1 John 5, 4 reminds us that uh, those who are born again uh, are truly overcomers. So if we have a true uh, salvation experience, uh, we can say that we are overcomers. So whatever, whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, uh, even our faith. So we should not doubt uh, the salvation experience that we have. Uh, we should not doubt uh, the certainty of that salvation experience. Uh, it is not something that we can lose or something that can be lost. And if you are not found uh, in the book of life, uh, Revelation 20 reminds us uh, of the white throne judgment. Uh, of sinners, and we read that whosoever is not found uh, written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. So obviously that's an important question. Uh, we need to make sure that our name is written uh, in the Lamb's uh, book of life, and that is the book for the redeemed, for those who are saved, and those who have put their trust uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 4, uh, 1 through 6, and also verse 18, uh, it continues on the same subject, uh, and the focus is on, on the final uh, judgment uh, that will come, uh, which again answers the question uh, of what's going to happen to the sinners uh, who seem to be having a good life, or what's going to happen to all the evil and all the wickedness that we see uh, in this world. So that would happen on the day of the Lord. Uh, and in this passage, we see that, again, there are two groups. Uh, there is a justice uh, that is given to the righteous, and there is also a judgment 
uh, for those who are wicked. So here we see uh, two groups, the righteous and the wicked. And it's focusing on a day that is going to come, which we uh, commonly understand as the second uh, coming of the Lord. And it is the day of the Lord before the uh, thousand year reign. And here we see how the wicked and how the righteous are being dealt with. And we also see a reference to Moses and Elijah and how the book of uh, Malachi ends uh, with a warning. And uh, if the warning is not heeded, then it would lead to a curse. So the ending is not very positive for the book of Malachi, but it gives us the warning that we all need uh, in this world. So we see that the coming of the Lord, the first advent, which we celebrate at Christmas, uh, he came as a savior. And then at some point we know there would be a rapture of believers. And this passage uh, focuses on the second coming of the Lord, where he comes uh, as a judge. And so this passage continues uh, the response to the questions we have seen earlier. Uh, why do the wicked uh, prosper and why do they remain uh, unpunished? So when we look at the scriptures at its uh, entirety, or when we take an eternal perspective, uh, we can see that from God's point of view, uh, God is uh, always just. Uh, we may not see justice uh, in our lifetime, or we may not see justice uh, in the short term, but a day will come uh, when God will uh, render uh, all the rights and all the wrongs. So the day of the Lord would be the final day of final justice and the righteous uh, will be saved and the wicked will be destroyed so in verse one we see behold the day of day cometh that will burn as an oven so there is a reference uh, to fire and in chapter three we saw that fire can purify uh, the remnant and through purification they were able to offer the right offering but at the same time we see that the same fire uh, can also destroy the wicked. So it is the same God who's judging uh, among the remnant. Uh, he is using the fire to purify them. But uh, for the wicked, we see that the fire is given as a picture that will completely destroy them. And in Hebrews 12.29, uh, we read that our God is a consuming fire. And of course, the target of God's judgment, as we read in verse 1, uh, it is the proud and the wicked, or we can say that uh, anyone uh, who is disobedient or anyone who is not willing uh, to the voice of God or who is not willing to submit uh, to the commandments of God. And the destruction that is taking place, uh, it's a complete uh, destruction. Uh, everything uh, is reduced uh, to stubble or waste, and there is neither root nor branch left. And the wicked are being trampled uh, by the righteous. So God has given victory uh, over the wicked. And the righteous are trampling the wicked uh, after the great uh, battle. The remaining verses uh, from verse 2, we see that uh, it's, it is addressed uh, to the remnant. Or it is addressed to those who fear uh, God's name. And Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it says, but unto you. Uh, that fear my name, which is the remnant, uh, shall the son of righteousness arise with healing uh, in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he is the son of righteousness uh, who comes with healing, 
and this will happen before the millennial reign where the Lord will come to exercise judgment and then he will begin to reign and the Antichrist will be defeated. So even as we saw uh, in the book of Daniel, the Lord, when the Lord returns the second time, uh, he will fight uh, for the nation of Israel against whom uh, everyone else is fighting and he will defeat the Antichrist who is uh, leading the nations uh, against Israel and there would be a great victory and also a remnant of the Israel. Israelites would be saved during the great uh, tribulation period. And in verse 4, we are reminded to remember uh, the law of Moses, uh, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel. So as the book of uh, Old Testament, as it's ending, uh, the prophet is uh, reminding us that we still need to remain faithful to the law of Moses. So that is something that we should remember and we should obey. And Lord Jesus Christ uh, himself said uh, that uh, he did not come uh, to destroy the law or the prophets. Uh, I'm not come to destroy, uh, but to fulfill. So we uh, commonly see that Moses uh, represents the laws and Elijah represents the prophets. And when we read different uh, prophetic books, uh, we see that oftentimes uh, they're calling people uh, about the laws uh, that they are broken. Uh, even as you see in the book of Malachi, like we saw with the uh, tithes, we saw with the sacrifices, uh, they were not following the laws. So one of the tasks of the prophet was to point the failures of the people uh, in following the laws. And when we put those two together, uh, that pretty much gives us the Old Testament. And the Lord reminds us that he did not come to destroy the law. And we see also a reference to Elijah in verse uh, 5. And that's a little bit confusing in terms of what, who the person is. And in Matthew 17, 11 through 13, uh, Jesus uh, spoke of Elijah. It says, Jesus answered and sent unto them, Elias uh, truly shall first come and restore all things. Uh, but I say unto you that Elias has come already, and they knew him not, but I've done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise also shall the Son of Man suffer of them. Uh, then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So when Jesus uh, is talking about Elijah, uh, he's making the connection that uh, he is uh, John the Baptist. And in Luke uh, 1.17, uh, we see that John, uh, he ministers uh, in the power of Elijah, as we read in Luke 1, 17. And he shall go before him uh, in the spirit and power of In John 1, 21, we see uh, John says that I'm not uh, Elijah. And they asked him, what then art thou Elias? And he said, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. And when we come to the book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 3, uh, we see that there are two witnesses uh, who, uh, and it is commonly understood that maybe uh, the two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. So when we read uh, all of these verses, we can say maybe it is John the Baptist uh, it is referring to, but the Lord is making that statement after John had already died. So uh, 
we will come back to this. We can discuss this later, yeah. And Elijah's ministry is the same, uh, to call people to repentance and to warn people of God's coming judgment. And Moses and Elijah, we see that they are much uh, in common. Uh, they both uh, heard from God in Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses uh, received the Ten Commandments, and Elijah heard the still small voice of God. And in terms of death, we know that Moses was buried by God, and Elijah was taken up in the chariot. Uh, he was, and they both were present at Transfiguration. And it's possible that they were the two witnesses uh, that uh, that were present uh, during the tribulation time. So when we look at the last verses of the Old and New Testament, uh, Malachi ends uh, with the warning that we saw of the day of the Lord or the day of judgment. And if people are not obedient, uh, it says, uh, I will come and smite the earth uh, with a curse. But when we go to the New Testament, we see that uh, it finishes on a positive note. Uh, it speaks about the coming of the Lord. And it also says uh, in Revelation 22 and verse 21, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, be with you all. Amen. And this I just brought up because uh, we were talking about the Israelites and we saw this uh, in the book of Daniel. So we saw that we are currently in the church age and at some point uh, there would be an Antichrist uh, which will come uh, from a ten-nation uh, kingdom. So, so all of these are future events uh, that will happen that we saw in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Malachi, we saw about the second uh, coming of God, uh, which speaks about the after the great uh, tribulation where Lord Jesus Christ will come. Uh, he will defeat the Antichrist. And after that, he returns uh, with the church. Then we have the thousand-year rule. And we also see the uh, end of the Jews that we also saw uh, in the book of uh, Daniel. So in the book of Malachi, when it speaks about the Israelites and how the ending will take place. So we saw that uh, nations will rise up uh, against the Jewish people, and but the Lord will return and fight the battle for Israel. In the end, uh, some Jews will be saved uh, during the great uh, tribulation, whereas the others will be condemned for eternity. So we see that God is uh, extending his grace uh, to the Jewish people uh, even through the uh, tribulation period. And even during the tribulation period, uh, they are able to hear the gospel. And some people are turning to the Lord at that time, and they would be saved for all of eternity. So we'll stop here. So uh, so the book of Malachi ends. And between the book of Malachi and the New Testament, uh, we say that there is a period of silence. Uh, so was God silent uh, during 400 years? And is God silent? today. So, so even though God was silent uh, during the 400 years, uh, obviously much had been written uh, about God. Uh, and even if God is not speaking to us uh, directly today, uh, we have the word of God. And through that, uh, God continues to speak to us. Uh, he continues to guide us. He continues to encourage us uh, with his word.